Hello, everybody, and welcome to Unaired, the show where we take TV shows canceled with episodes left unaired, review them, and then pitch our ideas how we think they could have continued. I'm Ed, and we have a very special guest this week. From one of my favorite shows, Off Book, we have Jess McKenna. Hello. How are you doing today? Oh, doing well. Uh, you know, there sometimes you have clocks in your house, and sometimes some of the rooms are different times than the time. But other than <laughs> that, I'm doing great. That's good. So... Based on the fact that you do a musical podcast and you have a background in musical theater, I figured we should do a TV show that kind of features musicals or musical theater to some extent. Oh my gosh, and spoiler alert, not enough in this show. (laughs) Not even close to enough. (laughs) What were they thinking? Um, I don't want to get way ahead, but yes, that, uh, yep, I thought it was a great idea to do a musical show. So we covered uh, Kristen Chenoweth's failed sitcom. It's just called Kristen. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, many shows where the star just puts their name on the in the title. Oh my gosh. But in this case, was this even her show, Ed? Because I'm pretty sure she's like barely in this show. Like, it's crazy. I was like, yeah. this is not from her point of view at all. Like, this show is like happening to her, kind of. Like she was like, definitely, oh, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself again, but it was just sort of wild. I was like, we're not following her. This is wild. Right. It's almost like she's a background character in her titular show. Yes, totally. Absolutely. So uh, it's supposedly a semi-autobiographical show about Kristen Chenoweth. Seriously? Uh, Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. It only aired uh, six of its 13 episodes from June 5th, 2001 to July 10th. Mm. Uh, it aired on NBC, a show that now is very well known for comedy, but back then, not so great. <laughs> <laughs> well, when did this come out? Uh, in 2001. Oh, wow. Wow, it felt even older. Uh, <clears throat> so this is like NBC. This is the lull between Seinfeld. Well, Friends is still on, right? Uh, it was, yeah, it was kind of towards the end of Friends. Yes, yeah, so this is the lull between must-see TV and not yet, like, The Office and Parks and Rec and 30 Rock. This is the the the, the dead zone. <laughs> yeah, it was going from must-see TV to, eh, it's on. Yeah, exactly. And then must-see TV for small audiences and critics and comedy nerds, but maybe not <laughs> big hits. Yeah, especially, ugh, so many good shows on NBC right now. <laughs> Yeah, totally. But nobody watches them. We're watching TV all different now, Ed. You know, it's a different time. It's a different metric. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the show starts off with a audition for 42nd Street. Hmm. And we get a close-up of tap shoes, and it's panning. And then it pans up, so we see the dancers' heads. And as it pans across, you see a little uh, bun of Kristen because she's noticeably shorter. Uh, Got a visual gag. And you know what? I was like, okay, this is going to be cute. Like, I'm I'm about to watch this little, like, cute show. And this cold open is the only thing that we get in the world of Broadway or in, like, her pursuing her passion. But this is how they intro you to the show. It's like, hey, she knows how to speak her mind because they tell her thank you, which is like, hey, we don't need you anymore. And then they they like make a joke about how she could play an elf in the Christmas show. 
And she like sticks up for herself and says like, it's one thing if you don't want to cast me, but don't make fun of me. Runs into a wall, does it again. I mean, it was like, now it's a little like hokey, but I was at least like, I know what this show is and I could be delighted by it. But this is all we get. This is the this is the whole of the Broadway experience we get in this episode. Right. It was like she was very spunky and like very much assured of herself. And you think, oh, this is this is what the show is going to be. Right. And then we get her mentioning probably once or twice more that she's there to act. She's in New York to act. And that's well, about the, it. The episode in general is plagued. But now pilots are super hard to write. You have to like introduce the whole world in one episode. It's a lot of like exposition to get out. But this they are there are some particularly clunky lines in here of like, hey, yo, me, your best friend and your right hand man. Or like, you know me, the guy you pay to be your personal messenger. Yeah, I pay you. Like, <laughs> just real on the nose stuff that I was like, yikes, yikes. <laughs> yeah, literally everybody in this show introduces themselves and yep. says what their role is. Yep, which is a little, it's a little tough, you know. Um, but uh, but then but then we leave Kristen and then barely return to her in the first act. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, that's when we uh, cut to a office where Aldo, who is the main character, well, not really the main, one of the main characters, best friends, uh, Tommy, is the, um, it, it seems like they're trying to set him up as a kind of will they, won't they love interest for Kristen Chenoweth. Which is insane because the problem of the pilot is, hey, buddy, you know I'm your best friend and right hand man, but you gotta stop sexually harassing your assistants. Like, that is the premise of the episode, is that this guy, this, like, real estate developer from New York, yikes, a little too familiar, who's, like, <laughs> just, like, a philanderer, is his name, t- and his name's Tommy Valentine. Yep, the yeah. most, like, 80s does cocaine kind yes. of name. I'm shocked that this is 2001. I was like, okay, 1994, it was a different <laughs> But uh, the the assistant is like, you've had another assistant leave because of like sexual harassment. We got to stop this. And he's like, come on. He's basically like, come on. They all love it. It's like really gross. And then uh, he's like, but I got your back, Tommy. I know how to solve this problem so we can get good press. I'm your next assistant. I went to a pastor and I'm going to get us a Christian. And they're like, Oh, Christian, it's so weird. Like, <laughs> I know people are less religious on the coast, but I've, I've never been like in a situation where people will almost like Scooby-Doo about it. Like, humana, humana, a Christian. <laughs> like, it was so weird. <laughs> yeah, that comes up a few times in the episode too, because at oh, one yeah. point she says, yoo-hoo, and he goes, oh, a short Christian that says, yoo-hoo, I need right. a cold shower. <laughs> yes, it's so bonkers. Also, it's like, the setup is that she wants to be a star and now we're making like, or she wants to like work on Broadway. She wants to act. And now we're making like her most, her like biggest, the biggest thing is that she's a Christian, which I guess like starts to, so then she arrives. I don't want to take, take your job, but she gets in there and uh, they also have two way glass, which is insane. Yeah. Behind a remote controlled kind of wall that slides out. Yeah. So this guy's like a straight up super villain. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I guarantee if you pull a book off of his bookshelf, that's going to slide out. He's going to have some weird costumes back there. Yeah. Uh, we, she, um, so basically like Kristen also, we meet like one other female character who basically is like, oh, you suck, Kristen. 
it's just like I can't help but be like this show is so gross and the fact that it's supposed to be Kristen's show like we we um so then like she's there and uh the first task is to like make a dinner reservation am I skipping anything uh nope that's uh basically the only thing that she's supposed to do this episode uh, the the other note that she's supposed to take is she's supposed to get his cat declawed for him, which <laughs> kind of a dick thing to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another thing that does that does not age well. We don't declaw cats anymore, guys. <laughs> yeah, no, they need their claws. Yeah, that hurts them. <laughs> and she writes down "fix cat" and then pauses and goes "fix cat problem big difference." So that's just kind of a hint of the writing we get in this show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, well pointed out. Yeah. So uh, like you were saying, her one job is to make reservations. Uh, Tommy wants three reservations made at three different restaurants because he doesn't know what he wants to eat yet. And she can't do it because she's uncomfortable lying. Right. And he also is like, he gives the ex- he gives like this clunky, I made a lot of money very fast. It's just like, okay, buddy. But yeah, she, she gets real serious and gets real like stick up for herself and is like and paints this picture to him of like how um maybe you know a poor couple who's been saving for their anniversary won't be able to eat there because you said you wanted to eat there but you don't um and so eventually he just gets frustrated and she gets her way she like makes one dinner reservation you're like okay so this is gonna be she's like a good influence on him is basically like the setup i think we're supposed to take Right. I think that the show is trying to push it to be like, okay, he's going to have some character growth because of her throughout the show. Right. Um, One thing that I didn't understand that kind of made him, it it just painted him as a dick was when he was going, yeah, I made a lot of money in a short amount of time. I I need to make uh, three reservations. I thought he was going to say because he doesn't want the press to know where he's eating. No, it's just because he doesn't know where he wants to eat. Right. Or he's like, and the way that I do that is by like being a man about town. So I'll have appetizers at one, dinner at the other, dessert at the other. Like they weren't connected. It was just their way of being like, hey, listen, I get to do what I want because I'm an asshole. Like (laughs) there was no logic. It was just supposed to be like, see how much of a dick he is. Exactly. Um, So uh, this is when uh, Santa comes in. Santa or Santa. Sorry. Uh, There's a big distinction. Uh, yeah. in the show <laughs> um that's the uh woman that's also kind of a dick to Kristen. right she comes in and she's a dick to Kristen, basically making fun of her to tommy saying oh i hear she puts out on the 749th date again this is very dated yeah even in 2001 <laughs> like, yeah super weird super super weird <laughs> And then they establish that Kristen's like the super nice girl because she bought fudge for the people waiting in the waiting in the waiting room for a meeting with Tommy. And he gets mad because he wants them to be nervous and sweating for some reason. Yeah. Feels gross. Yeah. (laughs) He's just all around a gross dude. Yeah, totally. I can't I can't believe that they're like and yeah, it's so weird. Super weird. So then we get his uh, cigar guy coming in. Right. Again. Someone who has to like narrate who he is. Like, I'm Tommy Valentine's personal cigar delivery. Okay, that's a thing. And his name is Ziggy. So (laughs) this show's just killing it with names. Mm -hmm. It feels like they just put a bunch of random words on a dartboard and just went, okay, Tommy and Valentine. There we go. Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) 
So she gets upset because uh, he's selling Cuban cigars and those are illegal. Right. And we get the line that I try not to break the law. Although there was this one time in Walmart, my Parker was open and the Velcro shoplifted a scarf. And the cigar guy says, oh, my uncle got arrested in a Walmart for having his parka open, but that's a different story. Yeah, just a a classic um, flasher joke. (laughs) Pretty much every joke that doesn't come from Kristen is just gross. (laughs) Yep. And some of that, I'm like, at least with this character, he's like a criminal. Like he later is like, this is the this is a terrible day. First, correctly identified in that lineup. I'm also like, how are you free? Or maybe he says it's a bad week or something like, but it's just so he's at least supposed to be like a straight up uh, criminal. Right. And then uh, Kristen starts crying to Tommy saying, I can't let you do this. He says, oh, well, you know what? It's fine. I won't buy these. They're illegal. I've had a change of heart. And then he whispers right. to Ziggy, just bring him to my apartment. Right. And then when he goes back to his office, opens up the one way mirror sees that she's she basically just did that all as an act to get him to not do it. Mm-hmm. And that's when he realizes that he's kind of attracted to her because she's not like so virtuous, I guess. Right. She like can be playful. I have, Yeah, exactly. I have no idea. And then we get another gross moment where he says to Aldo, I'm not going to I'm not going to pursue her. And Aldo says that's good because she wouldn't go for you anyways. And he takes that as a challenge. Right. <laughs> right. Which is just like, that, that. that's what dating is. It's like, as soon as you tell me I can't, oh, I gotta get in there. <laughs> so uh, he tries to win some uh, like brownie points with her by mm-hmm. saying that he's going to donate a ton of money to a prenatal ward. And she starts flirting with him. Real hard. Real hard. Like she pulls uh, his cell phone out of his pocket and opens it with her teeth, starts going va-va-vooms, shaking her hips. Yeah, she like whips her hair in front of him and says like, you know, talks about what it's like when good girls go bad. It's just wild. And then turns out she knew the whole time he was just playing her. Yep. And she she lays down the rules for her staying. It's that she won't lie or break the law. And any audition she gets, she gets to leave and go to it. And... Then he's like, okay, fine, I can deal with that. And the the last rule is that they're never going to happen, no matter what. He says, even if I buy my own Broadway theater and start producing musicals? And she's like, yeah, no. Yeah, well, which is like the lead up. There's like, even if I, what if I flew here on my flight private jet? And that's the last one. And she's like, oh, maybe this is going to be a little bit hard. Which is like, oh boy, no, it's not. He is gross. Right. (laughs) Just because he has the cash, you knew that beforehand. Right. So she leaves and goes, never going to happen. Closes the door. He goes, maybe it will. And that's basically how the episode just ends. Right. It's so weird. It's just so weird. Yeah. I I think I laughed. The only time I laughed was that first scene for that visual again where she's short. Well, there's also like she doesn't give up anything, which is okay because she's like definitely like the good character. But it's almost like I don't understand why the pilot isn't she's taken the job and we're like in that a lot sooner. Like she's already had the job or something. Maybe she's still new. Maybe it's the first week, but she's in the job and she has to leave for an audition. And there's like hijinks about, cause that's something very relatable. Like I understand. And it's a thing, you know, like 
what does, and she can't lie. How can she like try to get there and, you know, have that fail and then have her realize like she needs to be able to like strike a balance. It's just, we didn't see anything besides the cold open of her like trying to pursue it. The guy is disgusting. So the fact that they're a will they won't they is like horrifying. And it's like really doesn't feel like her show. It's very strange. Right. Her name's on the title. She sings the theme song. But that's about right. it. <laughs> like, right. Right. So it's kind of easy to see why this show got canceled very quickly. Yes. Um, so we're going to take a quick little break and then we're going to be right back with our episode pitches. I'm Jay. I'm Bob. And I'm Corey. We are the Cretans Guild. We're a trio of man-children whose friendship predates the Lion King, Green Day's Dookie, the N64, and the Chunnel. We have backgrounds working in television, video games, radio broadcasting, creative writing, and pizza delivery. That's a large cheese, right? On our podcast, Nerd or Not, you'll hear us talk about board games, TV, movies, comics, collectibles, video games, wrestling, theme parks. We even did a segment on pizza. So check and listen to us on Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. And check out our socials on Twitter and Instagram under Cretans Guild. Welcome to the Guild. So, Jess, had this god-awful show continued, what kind of episodes do you think we would have seen? Um, okay, so I think we gotta get back into, like, the Broadway world. So I think, like, I want to see her, uh, you know, through maybe, like, going down the line, she's worked at this job for a while, now she has all of these like contacts, right? Because she has uh, worked here for a while and obviously he deals with like big time people. So I definitely want like the episode where she puts on like a one woman cabaret and she's calling in like favors from like the the richest, like his contacts, you know, right. and maybe recruiting uh, your best friend and right hand man, uh, whatever <laughs> that guy's name is to help her pull it off. Um, and definitely there's like a beginning where he does, he thinks it's stupid and he makes fun of her. And then there's like an emotional third act where we realize he came and he really understands that she's so talented now and they get close to kissing and she's like, I can't do this. You know, that's probably maybe like the season one finale. Like kind of ending on a cliffhanger, like, oh, oh, maybe there, maybe there is a connection there. There's like a little spark. Right. And we get to see her succeed a little bit, you know, like we get to have her have a little bit of a win because we definitely have a lot more episodes where she's not succeeding. You know, she's like in audition rooms with everyone who looks like her or she like we get to meet her like grizzled agent or she like books a gig that she thinks is really amazing. But it's actually like working as like a um, one of those people twirling a sign. You know, we got to see some, we got to see some of that stuff. Yeah, almost like that scene in um, the horrible movie Stuck on You, where uh, <laughs> where they think that they're casting a movie called Pavlov's Dog, but it turns out it's a porn film called Pavlov's Dong. Oh, no. Yeah, it's kind of like, like a misdirect where she thinks she's going to be like in, <laughs> I don't know, like in Hairspray, but it turns out she's just in a Hairspray commercial. Right, exactly. Yeah, we need a lot of that. Oh, yeah. I feel like those would be like the type of hijinks that I would want to watch. Exactly. I want to get out of this office as much as possible. It's weird. It's a super villain layer. I mean, if if I could like fix this show, uh, I would just be like, and then the next episode, Tommy Valentine died in an elevator accident. 
And now, like, the will they won't they is with, like, the best friend who inherited the money. And we can just, like, restart and be like, what if he's a little bit of a dick, but he's not um, a criminal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he dies off screen like Poochie in The Simpsons. He had to go exactly. back to his home planet. <laughs> exactly. That would definitely, I feel like that would definitely work if Aldo was kind of the main character. Because I actually liked Aldo. Yeah, me too. And he was like struggling with it. Like you can't treat these girls this way. You know, like he had a little bit more like morality. So I feel like even we could still like play up, you know, he could be too, uh, too tough for her, you know, not to, you know, there's still, there's still lots of characteristics you could give these characters that is shy of like, they can't stop assaulting their assistants. <laughs> right. Like he could maybe say like, he doesn't want to fall into the same kind of stereotypes as Tommy did. So he doesn't want to date her. Something like that. Right. Exactly. Love it. Yeah. And I I wish that we had more of Tyreek, the delivery guy, because he's in there for like two seconds, introduces himself, and then he's gone. Right. So I feel like maybe we need to discover that he's also a struggling performer, you know, and then we need to get we need to get another group of people who are like her or her like comrades in arms. You know, we need like a, a bar that they're going to or they're like a dance class that they're going to. Um, we need something like that where we realize so she gets to have like her buddies who are tr- also struggling. Right. And then like every episode's not centered around either the office or an audition for her. Right. Exactly. And then it's more her show. We're like building out her world. Exactly. I feel like there could they could have kind of played off of the whole last line where he says oh what if i buy my own theater and start producing musicals yeah for sure that that could have been a good way to like kind of lead into her more taking the reins right absolutely Uh, i feel like maybe there could be an episode where she's gotta like make concessions with lying like maybe tommy needs someone to pretend to be his fiance so he can rebuild his image so oh yeah so she's like i can't do that that's lying and he goes no it's acting. So she kind of oh, like, there's definitely a lie versus acting episode. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. And it probably starts like smaller, like, come on, please. Will you be my sister on this phone call or whatever? My sister, she's a jerk and she won't call our grandmother on her birthday. And she's like, Oh, well, I do want an old lady to feel nice. And then it's like, <laughs> a, and then it's like a slippery slope, you know, where by the end she's like coming in with wig choices for a phone I, I love that for a phone call she's like yeah well, should i be redhead should i be blonde right oh man that would be that'd be amazing do you think she would delve more into broadway or she would expand further to like acting maybe she tries to audition for tv well i think like if you're being tr- not that this matters but if you're being like truthful especially in 2001 there's like less t- television in new york the the main thing that casts TV wise out of New York are crime shows, so that could be pretty fun to watch her going in for like CSIs and stuff like that. Um, but uh, or you know Law and Orders. Uh, but yeah, I th- you could probably eventually expand. But I think you probably want to start. You want to keep her in Broadway for as long as possible with the occasional like commercial audition or audition for like Dead Body Number Two. Or uh, occasionally you can have like a movie come through and cast. Right. I feel like if she was like, there could be an episode where she does like dead body number two or person who discovers dead body number two. Right. Like she's overacting the entire time. Yes, definitely. 
and they have to like keep giving her notes like okay do that but like tone it down to like 10 percent. right right definitely definitely um i also like we got it i can't believe we barely heard her sing you know and she's got such a good voice we gotta hear it what a waste what an absolute waste uh maybe maybe he owns a sports team and someone like calls out at the last minute so she gets to sing the national anthem that could be a good one yeah especially like maybe she pulls a christina aguilera and kind of flubs it yeah and like that's kind of the (laughs) conflict of the episode right totally she gets like all the way to the end and it's like this amazing performance and then she tries to go on a uh on a like run too high and maybe it's a hockey team slips on the ice that's classic that that's definitely a classic goof or like classic goof or she throws out the first pitch accidentally hits someone in the face right right or the other way it goes like two feet (laughs) totally much much like the uh carly ray jepson worst throw ever where she kind of just tosses it oh my gosh i haven't seen this oh it's it's a good one i suggest you (laughs) highly suggest you see it (laughs) oh carly ray uh she's a she's amazing Sorry, girl yeah (laughs) so i think that um eventually we could kind of see this kind of turn into a successor to the nanny because there's a a lot of parallels to it we got you know the broadway production we got a rich guy Mm -hmm. and we have somebody who's kind of coming up from nothing totally so i feel like maybe like tommy gets into musical productions just so she has a way to like get better roles so that's great but also you're making me miss the nanny oh that's such a good show i actually before i started this podcast i wanted to do a uh nanny rewatch and call it three men (laughs) and the nanny and have me and two other guys watching the nanny sounds pretty good yeah maybe one day (laughs) yeah uh so i feel like maybe he would uh not really know much he probably doesn't know about musicals this is 2001 and he's probably they're they're delving into this whole he's a manly man stereotype right so he would know nothing about musicals and just kind of throw himself into it thinking he knows what he's doing and Kristen could try and convince him to produce like a production of oklahoma because she's Mm -hmm. actually from oklahoma right and she's like dropping hints the whole episode trying to get him to produce that because he doesn't know what to produce and then in the end, he goes, oh, I'm just producing Kinky uh, kinky Boots because it has Kinky in the title. Right. Just him being like a total sleazebag again. Yeah, he is such... He, I mean, he is awful. Ugh. The best version of the show is the one where he dies. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely like that one better. <laughs> we, though we do need like... I think that you're right. The like idea that he becomes a producer is helpful for the show. Gives it like legs. But, uh He's so bad. He he very much is. Like cartoonish. So do you think that uh, it would kind of, if this show continued to the point where it coincided with Kristen Chenoweth actually being on Broadway for Wicked, do you think there would kind of be some kind of crossover for that? Oh man, yes. Yeah, gotta have a Wicked episode. You know, um, oh man, yeah. I can't even think of what it would be, but it would be so good. Um, I think it would be funny if like she auditioned for Wicked and they were just like, nah, we don't want you. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. 
<laughs> or she gets cast as just like a background munchkin, <laughs> just just calling back the cold open. Exactly. And that's how this that's how the show ends. That's the series finale. Is you're like, I know what's going to happen because she's in Wicked in real life. Nope, JK. <laughs> <laughs> she's munchkin number three. Right. And then she's like, I couldn't even be munchkin number one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there is a segment we do on the show where um, Steve Urkel, he is a famous character from Family Matters. And sure. he actually crossed over into a lot of different TV shows. Uh, he <laughs> yes. was in Full House, Step by Step, I believe. He's mentioned on Boy Meets World. So it's time for us to step into the Urkelverse. How would you <laughs> get Urkel into this show? <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay, so I think um, we have an episode where um, it would coincide with like, well, Family Matters. Does it matter if Family Matters is off the air? Uh, Nah, it doesn't. It it ended, I think, two years before this show. Okay, so Family Matters is having like a big, one of those classic big vacation episodes. And they're going to New York City. And uh, Urkel gets gets disconnected from the Winslows. He gets lost, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and he um, uh, wanders into a um, he wanders into one of Valentine's construction sites, and happens upon the raw materials that turn him into Stefan. <laughs> uh, and uh, we have a. Um, then Chris, so basically, basically he's Stefan and he goes on a date with Kristen and it makes Tommy Valentine really jealous. And then Tommy finds out later that he's actually just a nerd named Steve Urkel. That's right. And maybe you could spend and, like the whole episode trying to turn him back. Right, exactly. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and then, of course, he's got to say his classic catchphrase, did I do that at some did point? Did I do that? Got to. Yeah. Or, Absolutely. Or do you have any cheese? Right. Maybe he surprises. Maybe she's in some sort of show at the time, and he surprises her, and he does like they're in a really tight, uh, like chorus line kick, kick line, and he knocks them all over. That would be classic Urkel. <laughs> Did I do that? Did you I know? do that? <laughs> and that could be the last shot of the episode. Exactly. And then we find out that Urkel has just been abandoned by the Winslows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were never in New York. <laughs> They're in Florida, and it's actually Home Alone too. <laughs> and then he does his whole smacks the face. Ah. <laughs> so I'm thinking, what if this is like a ways down the line? Uh, Spider-Man, turn off the dark. Okay, great. That was plagued with a lot of production issues, a lot of injuries on set. So I'm thinking, what if right. Kristen is cast as Mary Jane? Best casting ever, obviously. <laughs> um, and Steve Urkel was hired as the technical advisor for the show. Oh, very good. So that way it could explain like kind of how all these stunts are going wrong and everything. Very good. And maybe like the actor that plays Spider-Man gets injured and Steve's like, oh, no, that's the third one this week. I can't let anybody know. So he decides with the help of Kristen, he's just going to throw on the mask and he's going to be Spider-Man. And of course, that's great. He doesn't know any of the choreography, so he's got to do the Steve Urkel dance on stage. <laughs> oh, that's great. Love it. So uh, do you have any other ideas for 
how this show could have gone? Oh, man. I mean, definitely, I think, you know, as a lot of shows do, uh, when they start, like, running out of steam, you want the episode where uh, it's all a musical. Um, uh, I did not even think of that. That actually would fit perfectly in the show. Yeah, so I think, like, you know, it ends up being a dream or it's whatever machination they use to justify it. But, you know, like... You know, Buffy did a musical episode. Uh, Drew the Drew Carey show had a musical episode. So I, I feel like at some point there needs to be a complete musical episode. I feel like going off of that, they could do like a noir episode. Oh yeah, and maybe that Definitely. could be like she got bonked on the head or something, passes out, right, and she just wakes up. It's a noir episode or something. <laughs> that would be great. Oh man, there's so many, so many ways this show could have gone. With this, <laughs> just like jumping the shark moments. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Oh, man. I feel like there could have been an episode where like she gets mistaken for like a child actor. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> and she has to kind of like convince them that she's like 12 so that she keeps the role or something. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> and so she's like hanging out at lunch with the other kids trying to just blend in. And it's obviously real dorky. <laughs> it's like the um, the Steve Buscemi, hello, fellow kids type thing. Right, right, exactly. Walks in. With, She's got like a backwards hat and is like trying to ride a skateboard. <laughs> Walks in with a giant lollipop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so do you have any other uh, any other ideas for this? You know, I think like just make just no. <laughs> <laughs> this show is like. Taking a very charming person, a really like likable, charismatic, wonderful actress, and like making her the background to a horrible monster. So there's a lot that you'd have to like get rid of to make it work. Um, and I'm glad it failed and that she had Wicked and other successes. <laughs> yeah, this show definitely is like uh, something that should be redacted from her Wikipedia page. <laughs> Right, right, uh, totally. She, the she, fact that it's based on real life, I'm like, uh oh, girl, what happened? Are you okay? <laughs> You're like, who hurt you? Like, <laughs> yeah, seriously, I'm like, yikes. Yeah, she's because she's super talented. So just watching this, it was it was honestly hard to watch because you know I love her in Trial and Error. I've seen some of her musical work, and she's just she's great. But then seeing this, it's like watching a, a brick wall. Right, but it's really a bummer. Yeah. Um, so I think that's going to do that for this episode. Um, (laughs) thank you so much for coming on Jess. Oh yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, definitely. If any of the listeners have not checked it out, check out off book. It is amazing. It's one of my favorite shows. Um, thank you so much. Thank you guys for making it. Like, honestly, like (laughs) (laughs) I listen to podcasts all the time at work and without your show, I'd have so much, so much less to listen to. It it helps the day go by faster. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. That's so nice. Um, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, Oh, yeah. And just remember, some things are better left unaired. Bye. <laughs> Writers tend to be lonely and trapped in their own heads. 
Daniel Ford and I founded the Writer's Bone Podcast so writers could have a place to share those crazy thoughts within them without being thrown into an insane asylum. We didn't want to be stiff, crusty academics or condescending masters clutching their literary secrets like purloined treasure, which is why you'll notice our early episodes are about bacon jam and the worst jobs we've ever had. Sean Tui then had the great idea to interview our favorite authors and screenwriters, and the rest is podcast history. Our mission is to champion authors and screenwriters of all stripes. We offer inspiration or a swift kick to the pen when needed. From authors like Michael Connolly, Nicole Blades, to screenwriters like Doug Richardson and Lexi Alexander, our interviews give our listeners a bolder understanding of the industry that they're crazy enough to jump into. Um, Sean, you can't mention Doug without hashtag nicest guy in Hollywood. I talked to Gary. It's in the contract he sent over. I'm sorry. We're bound to it. That contract is killing us. Do you know I have to give up my firstborn? I mean, I'm not going to have one. And what I actually gave them was a baby goat wrapped in a blanket like a baby. But that's not the point. Let me go back. Like screenwriters, like hashtag nicest guy in Hollywood, Doug Richardson. You can subscribe to Writer's Bone on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Head over to writersbone.com to check out our original fiction, essays, boneyard discussions, and more. You can also stalk us on Twitter and Instagram, at WritersBone, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash WritersBone. We look forward to your ears, and in the meantime, Sean, what can people do? Keep writing, everyone.